Word of God. So let us prepare with our Bibles out. I know it's on the screen, but I want you to get engaged. Try and get something that's not digital and, and try to get a physical Bible. Uh, it will just really help you because when you open a digital one, I know a lot of people say, oh, that's how I read. But when I open my digital Bible, I go on my Bible app, then I go on Facebook, Instagram, and then YouTube, and then, you know, but if you just open this, there's no YouTube or Facebook there. So whatever Bible, physical Bible you have, it's good. When you study time personally, I encourage you to have that. Uh, take your Bibles out to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we'll be spending some time there. Uh, and also first, sorry, not first, Romans chapter 12. Okay, so that's where I'm parking today. I'll share with you what God has been putting in my heart. Let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. We give you our undivided attention. We pray that you speak to our hearts. We put aside every distractions that may come uh, to make us not be attentive to your word. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would bring illumination, that you would bring understanding uh, to the word that is being preached today. Holy Spirit, I am just a voice in the desert. I am just someone, a vessel that you're using to communicate your truth. I lay down my will, I lay down my body members, and I pray that you may speak through me this afternoon. Bless those who are watching online and, and that cannot make it today. I pray that they also may receive your word wherever they may be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm continuing the Holy Spirit series, part 22. Uh, the past two weeks we've been looking at, at how the Holy Spirit works in us, how the, the transforming <coughs> power of the Holy Spirit, uh, conforming us to the image of Christ by renewing our minds, uh, that job is primarily the work of the Spirit of God and how He works in us to transform us. So we've looked at the past couple of weeks of talking about how does the Holy Spirit do that. And I'll propose to you that the main way or the primary method that He does is by renewing our minds. We had a way of thinking in the old man before we met Christ, before we had Christ in our life. We had the way that we viewed the world around us, and that needs to be renewed in the new life that we have with Christ. So the journey of faith is Him working constantly to renew our positions, to renew our thoughts, to renew our opinions, to renew our ideas, our thinking about everything that we have around us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that brings understanding. His primary role is to guide us into the truth of God's word. He is only on one path, and that is the path of truth, friends. I want to encourage you to spend time with the Holy Spirit, to have fellowship with Him, to spend time in the word of God. There is no shortcuts where someone comes, lays his hands on you, and then you're transformed into a new person. That's the generation that we want, we're living in. We all want quick fixes. We all want our problems to disappear in an instant, but it doesn't work like that. It's a life process. In theological terms, we call it sanctification. How we grow into the likeness of Christ, and that is through the Word of God. So we no longer walk in our former ways. We walk in this new way that God has created us already. Remember I told you, we don't work to become a new person. It's a gift of God. He does it. He does the work. We believe and we become new creations in Christ. This new way of thinking is not to make us a new person, it's but because we are a new creation, therefore we need to live out in this new life that we have. Today, I want us to focus on the other function of the Holy Spirit, which is the work that He does through us. There's a work that He does in us, and that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit to transform the believer. And once He transforms the believer, He works through the believer to work to transform the world around us. He works through us. Can you say, through me? I need you to speak with me this afternoon. Through me. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. The formula of how God works is found in this particular verse. Acts 19, 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did it through Paul. Amen? Paul didn't do it. I know in our generation, a lot of people point to themselves and say, if you want your healing, come to my meetings and I'll pray for you and you'll be healed. No, God does the healing. God does the delivering. God does the setting free. 
He does it through us. Amen? The way that God works in, the, in our lives is through us. You matter to God. You matter to God. You have a role and a function to play in this dark and dying world. I don't know if you are a person who follows the news, not just the news they show you in Channel 9, 7 and all that. Do your research. Now we're living in a time where we can access information. We're living in wicked days, in days where people are hating each other, people are killing one another. Just recently in the U.S., someone walked into a pub and killed 12 or 11 people. Just before that, the week before that, 11 people in a synagogue, in a Jewish synagogue, were just gunned down. People doing ordinary things. And I was shocked at the report that I heard just in the U.S. alone this year, over 300 mass shootings that are not reported in the media. We're living in dark times. A 15-year-old that I just recently, recently heard, a 15-year-old, his mom argued with him about his grades in his school. So instead of a teenager in a, in a young age like that just making an argument and going and shutting his room, no, he strangled her to death and killed her. He killed her because she asked him questions about his grades. Young people, you need to understand we're living in the last days, in the days that Jesus warned of the things will happen, how the love of most will grow cold, how, how family members will be against each other. We're literally living in those days. And God wants to raise up a generation who understand the times, a generation who are not led astray by the patterns of the world, but are renewed by the transforming of God's word and know that I have a mission and God has a job to do through me. Say through me, God works through us. The apostles are a perfect example of this idea that I'm bringing to you. Three and a half years, Jesus works in them. He does a work in them by transforming the way they think. He, he had to change their notions and ideas about leadership. He had to change the ideas about the Messiah. He had to change the ideas about life that they lived, about suffering, about pain. He worked in them for three and a half years. And then he says, do not do anything. When the Spirit of God comes, he will work in you and through you. And as soon as the Spirit of God came, they were ready, ready. They were prepared. They were transformed lives. They were transformed by the power of Christ. They were transformed by the blood of Jesus. There were people that were ready. They were seeking God. And once the Spirit of God came, he began to work through ordinary people. That's why they said, who are these unschooled, ordinary men? And they said, they had realized they had been with Christ. Lives that were surrendered. They were transformed people who went on to transform the world around them. Twelve men who understood that God can work through me. That he has a mission and a purpose that he can do through me. Who dared to believe God. Changed the world. Not just in their world, for 2,000 years, the world is still changing by the testimony of the 12. Don't you dare think that you're an insignificant person. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to 11. Are you excited about what God is doing? Let's, let's read. This is so powerful. I'll be reading in the NIV. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God, who? God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I want to quickly just go and break down this particular powerful passage. Let's go from verse 10 beginning. The, the, Peter, the apostle Peter is saying something profound and important that we need to understand, young adults. He firstly said, each of you. In other words, there is none missing. Not one. Every person in the body of Christ, each of you, every single person has received the grace to serve in different ways. Everyone in the kingdom of God is significant and no one is left out. 
no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what limitations you have, God has given you a gift. Amen? Some of you might think that you have limitations and that God cannot surely use your life because of those limitations. I think Nick, I can't pronounce his last name, but the man with no limbs is a candidate to say, hey, you know what? I have limitations and I don't think that God can use my life. My limitations are too big and too great to be a candidate for God's presence and for God's power to flow through me to impact other lives. He had valid excuses and reasons to hinder him from pursuing the life that is set out for God to be used by him. But he is now living a ministry, a life without limits. No limbs, amen? He has no limbs, no hands, no feet, but he is transforming the world around him. Millions and millions of people have come to Christ because of a man who had an encounter with Christ and who understood that his pain, that his limitations is only, is only a more powerful method for God to use and flow through so that men may see the glory of God. Amen? Every single person in the body of Christ has a function. Ministry is not as narrow as we think it is. I'm going to teach you. This is teaching now. I'm going to teach you things that will set you free. The mess that is in the body of Christ is because of this lack of understanding of a narrow perspective of what ministry is. We think that ministry is defined by what's up on here. You have to be seen to be used by God. You, you, you have to be an either, you have to be the fivefold ministry as we put it, or you have to be in a worship team, you have to be in leadership. Apart from that, I have no function, God cannot use me, and, though, and so the result of it is there is fighting, there is tension in the body of Christ. Not only that, people are becoming to be whatever God has never placed them in. People are running after with wrong motives. Not only that, we have the majority of the people of God that are sitting down. But this teaching, I'm praying that God will, will demolish those ideas and bring us to biblical perspective of what it means to be gifted and used by God. He said, each of you, in other words, every single person, no one missing. Doesn't matter what limitations, physical limitations you have. It doesn't matter what background you had, your past. Listen to me very carefully, young adults. God is so good that he will even use the mistakes of your past into ministries of your now. That is the goodness of God. He will use the mistakes of a prostitute. He will use the mistakes of a porn star Actually, I've heard of many testimonies of former porn stars who had radical transformation, encounters with God, and who became a candidate to begin ministries that will bring other porn stars to freedom from that lifestyle. That is how God laughs at the enemy. Whatever he intended to kill you with, whatever he intended to destroy you with, God can transform your life and use that very same weapon that the enemy tried. He can use that very same weapon to bring about healing to others. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. He can use a drug addict who, who is bound by so many addictions, who is bound by so many uh, harmful things. He can use that person's life to get other drug addicts out of prison, to get other drug addicts out of their bondages. God can use anyone. Amen? Second thing we can learn from this. He said, each of you should use, <laughs> should use Whatever gift you have received. The problem today is that we're seeing many using the gift of God has given them because they think it is not significant. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing many using the gift that God has given them because they think the gift is significant. There are many unused potentials in the body of Christ. Uh, one, 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 one of God's generals, I believe, Miles Monroe, he said something powerful. He said, the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard because there are many who die with the unused potentials, with potentials that they never even attempted to use because of many varied excuses, limitations, fears, whatever it may be. The most wealthiest treasure is in the graveyard. And it's sad that we could live our, our whole lives and not be functioning at the potential that God has created us to be. 
There are many spectators but few workers. Your reason can be varied as to why your gift, the gift that God has given you, cannot be used. But our God is good and he can use everything that we've been through, everything that we are, to make us into faithful stewards of the gift that he's given us. So second point is use. Let's not put excuses any longer. Whether it's fear, whether it's, 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 it's the limitations that you have, let me be very honest with you. When God called me into this ministry, I had every excuse in the book that you can think of as to why I shouldn't function in the gift that God has given me. I said, God, I am the worst public speaker. God, you've got the wrong person. God, I shake when I talk to people publicly. And God, how are you going to use me? But God has a way, if you would allow him, to, to, to put the walls of excuses, to dismantle them, and you'll come to a position where you have to make a decision. God has given you, but you have to use it. In other words, you have to step out. You have to step out in faith and begin to do, begin to exercise, begin to trust God. Trust God that he can use your life and when you surrender your excuses, he makes it into, do you know what? He even makes me realize that I am not where I am because of my own strengths and abilities. It, it humbles me to know where I came from and apart from him, as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I know that if Christ was not in my life, I know if the Spirit of God was not helping me to do whatever I'm doing, there's no way that I'll be doing this job. There's no way that I'll be doing this call, this task. So the second thing Peter encouraged us is to use. Third thing, he said, whatever gift, it's varied, whatever gift, received, he said, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Faithful stewards, you are managers, you're not owners, you're managers. Be faithful stu stewards. Why do we need to be faithful stewards, young adults? Because one day we'll be held accountable before a holy God. And each of us, you won't have your mom and dad holding your hand, you won't have your brother or sister next to you, you're not gonna have your pastor advocating for you there, you're gonna be all alone with God. God is going to ask you one thing. What did you do with that I put in your hand? Isn't that a, that alone, that thought alone should, should, should move us into doing whatever God has given us. Amen? God's grace to serve is not narrow as we think it is. It is various as our human body parts. He said, faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That word there is multi-colored multi uh, ways that God has given us his grace. It is not limited in one particular way, young adults. God has many ways that he can use our life to bring about transformation and change, not only in, in, in us, but in the world around us. You know, the body part is a perfect example of how something functions together and how everything has different roles, different functions, but works beautifully in unity and in oneness. I'll, I'll share this more two weeks uh, when we catch up again about that thought. But as each body part has a role, so does each person in God's kingdom. Some of your roles might be seen roles and some of your roles might be hidden roles. Uh, the world might never give you an applause as to the, the, the role that God has given you. But why does that matter if one day we're going to stand before a heavenly father and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'd rather one well done, my good and faithful servant than thousands and millions of claps from earth. Amen? Ministry is not only from the pulpit. And then Peter here, he gives us two purposes of the gifts that God gives us. Number one, he said, whatever gift you have received, verse number 10, to serve others. This is a, a notion, an idea that is lacking in the body of Christ today. But the gifts that God gives us, number one, is to serve others. To be a servant to others. Not to be self-focused. The, the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, it's not to puff us up. It's not to give us positions and titles. It's not to give us the front seats in, in pulpits and events. The gifts and the purpose of God for the gifts that he's given us is not for us. It is for others. 
Number two, he gives us another reason. He said, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ, to him be the glory. The second function or the purpose of the gifts that God gives us is for God to be praised so that he gets the glory. It is not to promote ourselves. It is not to showcase ourselves, but it is for the glory of God. So the purpose of God, that he's the gifts that he gives us, is so that God may be glorified. How many mess do we see in the body of Christ now? People misusing the gifts of God to promote themselves. Instead of promoting the name of Christ, they promote the name of themselves and their ministry. But I'll share with you this power. At 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will, you will be blown away by what Paul teaches us there. That's one of the, another passage that it talks about the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Now, let's go quickly to Romans chapter 12, verse number 4 to 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go very quickly and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish and have a good time. And I hope that this week you talk about what you've learned today. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 8, I'll be focusing on. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 8. For just as each, I love that. Again, the same language here, each. For just as each of us, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Again, to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. Notice the if, then. If, then. If, then, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul compares here our body to understand how the church works and functions. Paul speaks of three areas of the body's function that is also true for the function of the church. Number one, the unity of the body. In Christ, though many all form one body. Can you imagine every time I went and I introduced myself to someone and I said, hi, my name is Jonathan or Jonathan or Yo-Yo. Can you imagine if my hand said, hey, my name is not called as well. I want recognition. Introduce me as well. And then my leg says, hey, my name is not called. I want my name to be recognized as well. Can you imagine? Like we'll be standing there just introducing every part of our body. But the function of the body works in unity. My body is in agreement to give me one name. Amen? In the same way, we are the body of Christ. Amen? We are one. There is unity in the body. There is unity in the body. It's not about promoting each part. It is about the unity in the body. And we have one name that we glorify, and that is the name of Christ. The second thing that we see is the diversity in the body. Imagine how weird it will be if the whole body was one part. Can you imagine, just, just have, use your imagination now. Imagine just standing here is an eye, nothing else, just an eye. You'll be like, what alien came from what place? You'll be like screaming out and running from this place. But why is the body beautiful? Because of its diversity. Every body part has a part to play. The reason why there is beauty in the body is because of its diversity. There are hidden roles that we, we, we can't see, the role of the liver and, 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 and the kidney and all that. But guess what? They play a, a greater role in our bodies. I'll teach you that more in the coming week, but they play a greater function. Do you know why God protected those parts? Because they're very sensitive. They, there's parts that are hidden that, that we cannot see its function, but without them, the body will crumble. Have you seen someone with kidney disease or, or one of those major organs failing? It, it, it just paralyzes the whole body. So it shows how important the diversity of the body is. Listen to me very carefully, young adults. It's not about promoting each individual part. It has never been. Even the seen parts, it's not about promoting. It's about promoting the body. It is about promoting the kingdom. Amen? And thirdly, we can see the mutuality of the body. 
That is, every part is dependent upon one another. Every part of our body is dependent upon one another. We need, every part needs each other. Every part has a distinct function, but works together for the body. So we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. I want to really highlight this. We all have different gifts according to the grace given us. So the gift by definition that you have, you cannot boast in a gift. Number one, we cannot boast in a gift. God gives you the ability. It's not about us. It's about his body. How can we boast in something that we've been given as if we've earned that ability or that gift? No. God has given us as a gift and therefore we can't boast. Look, salvation puts us all on the equal playing field. Meaning, whatever your religion is prior to that, whatever your color is prior to that, whatever your nationality is prior to that, in Christ we're all one. That's why Paul said, no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female. He puts us all on the same playing field. Why? We receive the gift of salvation. It's not by how we work for it. It's how just simply by receiving it. So God put us all on the same playing field. In the same way, when it comes to the gifts of God, we are all in the same playing field. It is a gift that he gives us. Therefore, we cannot boast with the gift that we have. The scriptures are clear that God determines what role we play in the body of Christ. I will share this more broadly, but every portion of scripture that refer to the gifts and the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, they're all in agreement. They're all in agreement that God determines, the Spirit determines what role we play. Look, when he created your body, do you know like I just think about things sometimes, we just boast and about our body and all this stuff and and but you were just created with it most of the stuff just you had no part to play in that god determined each part where it goes amen in the same way in the body of christ god chooses that he knows you better than you know you he knows how you function best better than you know how you function best That's why some people, you cannot rely and live upon your own perception or what others say about you. You'll never function on what God says about you. That's why Jesus knew his identity. He knew who he was. He he said to Peter, who do people say that I am? So he gave him a couple of things here. People say, you're this, this, and that. Uh, Peter, then who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, Peter, man did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Do you know why Jesus was so effective in what he did? Because he knew who he was. He was not limited by those who called him demon-possessed. He was not limited by those who attacked his ministry. He knew his identity. He didn't need to prove to anyone who he was. (laughs) The Father has already testified of who he was. Amen? Come on, young guys. You need to know who you are in Christ. Be content in who God has made you. You don't need to prove anyone. It's not about competition. It's not about excelling. It's not about what gifts are better. No, we all need each other. We all have a function to play. Each of us have, are different, but we complement one another. Look what we're seeing in the body of Christ today. The arrogance, the man-centeredness. The, the pointing to ourselves, we want others to think that the gift we received is our own merit, our own invention. This should not be. Number two, look at the grace that give, uh, uh, the grace gifts that Paul lists here. He said prophecy, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving. Who knows that giving is a gift? Some people are just, are just gifted in that particular way. They, they, they have, their life is, is to find ministries. I know, pastor's telling me of this man that he knows, a very wealthy Ethiopian man, and literally what he does, he's gifted in business, literally what he does, God gives him, gives him uh, assignments. And he tells him, I want you to sow here, I want you to give to that person. He raises so many pastors in rural areas that don't have anything to live on. God actually has gifted people in the body of Christ in that particular way. Some of these things we don't even consider as a gift like showing mercy, hospitality, 
No one thinks that, that bringing people to your house, encouraging them, uh, encouraging them with the things of God, praying for them, and, and, and doing life with them, no one thinks that that's a ministry. But God has gifted some people in that particular way. Barnabas, one of the most celebrated men in the, new, in the early church. Do you know what he was known for? He was known as the son of encouragement. In other words, the people that he would go is the people that are discouraged, he would lift them up. And he would say, come on, cheer on, let's go, you can do this. That was the gift that God has over his life. And you need to have a broad perspective of what it means to be used by God and not have a narrow limit of what it means to serve God. We think that serving God is within the boundary of the physical building. So we don't do anything because we didn't have the opportunity to be in the choir, in the leadership, or the teaching team. But this generation that I'm believing that God to raise up is a generation who know who they are, who know their mission. I'm sharing the youth a, a, a series called Soldiers of Christ in the Army of the Lord, who know who they are. You know that you're in a mission and you know your assignment. Paul knew his assignment. He was a man who knew his assignment. He said, my assignment is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The apostles knew their assignment. In Acts chapter 6, a problem arose. And the problem was there was poor people, widows in the body of Christ, and no one was looking after them. They were not being fed. So they came to the apostles to do something about it. And the apostles said, no, we know our assignment. We know our function. God has called us to prayer and the teaching of God's word. He said, but we're going to choose seven men among you who are gifted, who are graced to do this. And, and their job was to go and serve these poor widows who didn't have any food, but there were people that were gifted to do that. Amen? And they said, we're going to focus on our assignment. We're going to focus. Imagine if we all did that in the body of Christ. Imagine the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen? Imagine what this city will be like. Imagine if we all knew the place that God has given us and we function in it. We serve God and others with our life. It's not just about our whole life is a ministry. I want you to get this concept very well. Your life, do not have this idea of Christianity that it's detached from your everyday life. That Sunday is your sacrifice and your service and that Monday to Saturday you do whatever you want. That's not Christianity, that's deception. That's not what God has called us in, that's deception. Every day, you are a living sacrifice. Why do you think the Spirit of God came outside of a building, the curtains were tall at the cross of Christ, and now we are the temple of the living God? In other words, we serve God wherever we are because the Spirit of God is in us. So our life becomes a service to God. You know, the Gentile believers in Antioch Church were evangelized by some scattered disciples of Jesus Christ that had no titles. Fascinating. Look at it and study it. The way Antioch became a model church, the way Antioch was evangelized and Paul would take all his mission trips, the base home church was the Antioch church. How that all happened is when Stephen was killed in Acts chapter 8, these ordinary disciples were scattered and some went to Antioch. And, and some disciples dared to say, you know what, why don't we begin to tell the gospel to the Greeks? And all of a sudden, there was an outburst of salvations that came to the point the news went to the Jerusalem church and they sent Barnabas to investigate. Why? Ordinary disciples that had no titles decided to function and do. They didn't have a title. They didn't have a name. They were ordinary people who shared Christ by word and deed. George Washington Carver, 1864 to 1943, was an African-American chemist. His parents were slaves, and he was awarded the Roosevelt, or Roosevelt Medal in 1939 for his research on peanuts and sweet potatoes. So back then, the industry that was very popular was the cotton industry, but the cotton plantation and agriculture of cotton was destroying the, the vegetation and the land. So there were, the government was looking for a new, uh, new uh, harvest method that can explode more than cotton. So this chemist, African-American, where African-Americans at that time were despised, they were looked down on, they had no rights, they couldn't sit in the same place as, as the white people of the nation. At that very time, there was a man named George Washington Carver who had a relationship with God. He was a man who knew his God. He had access in a divine way. God granted him uh, the education. He was gifted. His mind was gifted. 
He was a brilliant young man. He can comprehend concepts and ideas because it was a gift that God has given him. And he said a prayer to God. He said, God, just tell me the secrets of the universe. And God said to him, you cannot handle if I tell you the secrets of the universe. And at that time, there was a product named Peanut that nothing was known about prior to that. No one knew anything about the peanut. There was no peanut butter spread like you enjoy now. (laughs) This is before anything that peanut butter had any value. And God, he said, God, well, teach me the secrets of this peanut. This plantation that, that is in my hand, no one knows anything about. Teach me the secrets of it. God opened his mind, 300 products that came out of the peanut. Do you know what his medal was awarded for? This is what they wrote on, on his medal. The medal read, in part, to a scientist humbly seeking the guidance of God. He wasn't a scientist that hid his was ashamed of his faith. He was bold about his faith. If you see the jump, there's a, there's a whole uh, museum just about his life in America. A, a, an amazing man that is still celebrated today. Why? Because he had a relationship with God. He knew his place and he decided to function in it. Amen? 25 years uh, before church growth, researcher Win An. This was in the 1980s. He did this research. I'll just, instead of reading out, he did this research, and, and it was the biggest research uh, that's been done uh, among born-again Christians, but he asked 17,000 people in 1980, he asked them one question. What or who was responsible for you coming to Christ and for you uh, coming to church? What or who was responsible? He wanted, the research was him wanting to know how people, what was the method that people came to Christ in? Now, we might have many ideas, say, oh, maybe it's through, uh, through preaching and through church. Look, this is the, the stats. Among the 17,000 people, this is the answers. One to two percent came to Christ because of a special need that they had at that particular time. Two to three percent came to Christ by just happening to just walking to a church and, 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 and they just came to Christ in that way. Five to six percent came to Christ because of the pastor. (laughs) That's so encouraging. Five to six percent through the preaching of the pastor. One to two percent through visitation. Four to five percent through Sunday school. You know these major crusades and events that we, everyone just wants to put on now? Do you know how many people came to Christ that way? 0.25 to 0.5 percent came through a massive crusade. Two to three percent came through a church program. Do you know 75 to 90 percent how they came to Christ? Through friends and relatives. God using every single person's life. When they see a transformed life, they'll say, I know you before. (laughs) I know you before. What happened to you? I need to know what is the source of your joy. I need to know what is the source of your peace. When the market is collapsing and crashing and your investments in property has has been lost, what makes you smile? What keeps you smiling at work? When you know that we're about to be laid off and some people are getting rid of, why are you not depressed? Why are you not losing sleep? What is your secret? And that's when God gives you access to say, It's not about what I have, it's who I have. Through people, through close relatives and friends, that's how the majority of way that people came to Christ. I've shared this previously before, but I'm finishing up. Uh, Nothing can come up. But Stephen Baldwin, a former actor and a believer, an unbeliever, he came to Christ. You might know his name. Stephen Baldwin is a very famous actor. But the way he came to Christ is what fascinates me. Search up his name and search up his, his YouTube video of his testimony. Stephen Baldwin ha- hired a cleaner, a, a cleaning, uh, uh, I think she was a, a Latin American woman, but she, she was hired to clean in their house because he's a millionaire, he's an actor. He's a millionaire, and, and what she will do is every time she's working, she would be singing one song, every time. She's happy, she's a cleaner, but she's happy and she's singing one song, and she's vacuuming, she's cleaning, and then they talked among one, one another and they said, why is this woman singing about one thing every time? And she says this word, Jesus, Jesus, every time. So, so Stephen Baldwin said to his wife, go and ask her why she does that. She's so bubbly, she's joyous. And she always sings about one, one person named Jesus. What is that? So the wife asked her, why do you always sing this very same song? It's about only, it's always about Jesus. And the woman laughed at her face. 
Stephen Baldwin's wife was really upset. She's like, why are you laughing in my face? I'm asking you a question. She said, I don't mean to be rude. The reason why I laughed at your face is because you thought I came to clean your house. And that's why I'm here. But I came because God gave me an assignment. And he said, before I came to this job, God said to me that you both are going to come to Christ. And God is going to use your lives to minister the gospel throughout the world. The woman goes and tells her husband, Stephen Baldwin, he laughs at her face. So I've got money, I've got everything that I need. I mean, what's this woman babbling about? Long story short, a few months later, they both came to Christ. And now they're going in the access that they have to Hollywood and all that, they're going around preaching the name of Christ. Why? Because a cleaning woman knew her purpose in Christ. Young adults, your jobs, your titles that you've been given, that doesn't define you. The world runs after that because they have no contentment. Their contentment is in their position, the jobs that you do. That's not your assignment. That's not your contentment. That's not your satisfaction. It's not about what you do, but it's about what you do or I mean the titles that you have. It's about your assignment that you have. What Paul is saying in Romans, if your gift is then, the main point is making whatever God has given you, however it might function, however it might play out, do it faithfully, use it. That's the idea. I want to finish with, with this thought. Every part in the body of Christ, every single one of you, is important. Is important. I read a story once, a guy, he bought a new lawnmower and he was assembling the lawnmower and he, and he, you know, there's many parts to it and he's assembling, assembling it, assembling it, assembling it. And then in the end, there was a little rubber piece that was left out. He couldn't figure out what to do with that rubber piece. He's like, I'm not going to take the machine apart. It's only a rubber piece, not important. So he left it and he, and he put the lawnmower on and it worked. So he finished his lawn mowering and he did it and he did it and up and down and he's finishing, he, he finished the lawn mower and then when he went to turn it off, it wouldn't turn off because the insignificant rubber part was the exactly piece needed to help him turn off the motor. You are not insignificant. No matter what you think about yourself, no matter how low you look at yourself, you have an important, significant role to play in the body of Christ. I saw this motivation speech by one person and he said, if you have a food in your fridge, shoes on your feet, clothes on your body, bed to sleep on, a roof over your head, you are richer than 75% of the people in the world. Did you know that? He said, if you have a bank account, money in your wallet or coins in a jar, you are part of the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. Young adults, we are so privileged in this nation. The things that the enemy wants us to fix our eyes on and complain that I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. That's his strategy to make us not effective in what God has given us. But my prayer is that you would begin to rise up and ask the Lord how you can use what you have been given and start a movement to serve others and honor God. Start with where you are now. Start with where you are now. We, we met with this guy from Prison Fellowship, and, and he's been doing that job for 20-something years. The owner that runs Prison Fellowship, search it up. If you have a heart for people that are in prison. I've visited people in prison before. They are desperately, all of them tell me one thing. We want someone to come and give us a message of hope. Because they're limited and confound to a space, and there's no hope there, friends. And this Prison Fellowship ministry, they are looking for volunteers to come and help them. To, to donate their time, a Saturday. And, and what they said what we do is we play like a soccer game with them or basketball. And we play with them and we just hang out with them. He said, the government, the law doesn't allow us to preach to them, but they can't stop us from personal evangelism. So they will say, why are you here? Why are you, you're a young person. Why are you coming and playing soccer with us? Why are you wasting your time on a Saturday where you could be out with your mates? That's your, your position to, to preach the gospel. It's so broad how you can help people. We need to help the poor. How many of you are sitting and not doing anything when there are people dying outside of these walls? God is saying, use whatever you have, young adult. 
begin to help out in the body of Christ. There's some of you that God wants to, do, to use in the, politi- in the politics, in Parliament House, like Joseph, he was a prime minister. Some of you advocating the, the, the voiceless and those who, are being, uh, those who are being put down in our society. Some of you, it's in business. Some of it's, it's in education. Some of you, it's just by, by encouraging people. That's the gift that God has given you. Do it. You, you might not be seen by others, but do it. Invite people. Take people for a coffee. Share with them your life. Share with them the love of God. Imagine in a sports team if everyone wanted to be a striker. Why do you think a sports team functions effectively? Because everyone knows the role they play. But if all of us want to be a striker, (laughs) the team is not going to go anywhere. Close your eyes and let's pray. I'm praying that this message has challenged you, has stirred something inside of you. You matter to God. Every single one of you here has a role to play. My job as a, as a pastor is to equip you guys with a faithful truth teaching of God's word. This is not about ideas. This is not about opinion. That's the worldly pattern. Don't have an opinion on everything. Let's be led by the truth. Let's say, God, change my opinions in your truth. Every single person here in this room has been given something by God. For you to say, no, you're you're saying God is a liar. My question this afternoon is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with what God has put in your hand? For how long are you going to use excuses, no matter how valid your excuses may be? When are you going to say, like Nick, I give up my excuses, and God, I, I, I'm available for you. I, da- I, I dare you just search up his story and listen to him. He said, I, I felt so worthless in this world. I mean, what good am I? What can I offer without hands and legs? I'll never marry one day. I'll never do this. But a life that is surrendered to God is a dangerous life. When you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, He wants to work through you. That's the way God works, young adult. Please do not conform to the pattern of this world, living only for yourself, building fine houses and nice cars, and neglect the work of God. I beg of you, young adult. I plead with you by the power of the Holy Spirit, young adult. Get up. Get up. Get up. And start working, start doing the work of God. You know why I'm pleading with you earnestly like this? Because one day you're going to stand before God. One day you're going to stand. One day you're going to stand. Doesn't that thought alone push you to move? You know, my heart is to see just this church just being filled with broken and lost people. Not because we want numbers to grow. I hate that. The church is not a business. But because we care about dying souls that are lost. And God is waiting on you, young girl. He's waiting on you to be not not selfish anymore. Only look after your own interests. But to say, I'm going to use what God has given me to help others. To serve others. That's all of our call. Some of you, you might have a ministry that God has put in your heart. Start it. Do it. Don't wait anymore. You know, you know, most of you, you know. Spend time with God. He will tell you the gifts that He's given you. You know it. No more excuses. No more excuses. It's time to say, God, I put my hand up. Remember Nehemiah? He was a cupbearer to the king. And he heard, he heard, he heard something. He heard something that moved his soul, that moved the core of his being. He said, the walls of Jerusalem are broken. Why is everyone talking about it, but no one is doing anything about it? And then God put this burden in Nehemiah's heart. 
Some of you, God is going to open your ears and you're going to hear the cries of the prostitutes. You're going to hear the cries of the drug addicts in our own city. Young people who are dying of drug abuse. Some of you are going to hear the call of the, of the, of the women who are, who are bound up in broken relationships, in abusive relationships. Some of you are going to hear the call of young people who are suicidal and, and you're gonna, God is going to stir something inside of you and you're going to get up and say, God, I put my hand up. I might not have the skill right now, but, I'm a, but I know that if you have called me, that you will give me the, everything that I need to function in that call. It's not about what you do. It's not about position. It's not about title. It's about God being glorified in our lives. It's about Christ being seen. It's about his name being lifted. His kingdom expanding. It's about dying people that are coming to the kingdom of light. How glorious. How glorious when we have testimonies in this house. Of saying, I, 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 I was someone that had no, no idea about what Christ, who Christ is. But, but this person in my workplace began to just share with me. And now I'm in this building because I heard the testimony of this person. I saw he or her life and I'm convicted by it. And I've accepted the gospel and now I am here. Imagine the testimonies that will come here. I, I was a drug addict, but now I am set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I am seeing something. I am seeing a shift. A shift. A shift. A shift. In your mindsets, I'm seeing walls fall down in some of you. In the name of Jesus, ideas, wrong perceptions are falling down in the name of Jesus. How sad it is when you die. All that you can say to God is, I've built a double-story house. That's something that's going to stay here. God is, I don't care about that. What did you do with what I put in your hand? Holy Spirit, teach us how you want to work through us to transform the world around us.